from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. By the grace of God, I got rescued and went to jail. It's simply getting them habilitated. You learn how to handle this stress. It's not about just saying no. I was so broken down to where I started giving up on life. It's about developing the healthy skills that people who don't engage in drugs and alcohol gain as they grow in their young years. You know, having a few classes of education when you are a substance user, not abuser, will put you in the same situation. But I think about Jamie um, talking about how this changed her life, that she kind of did this because she had to do this. When I was originally arrested, I thought it was like the worst thing that had ever happened to me. Commissioner Melton, do you, do you worry that maybe we're losing a chance to get people help before they spiral too low? I'm Sarah Fenske. On this day, 25 years ago, St. Louis launched something new for the region and nearly new for the state. The St. Louis Circuit created Missouri's second-ever drug treatment court. And since then, the court has been quietly working to help people facing criminal charges that stem from drug abuse and dependency find their ways back to good. One of those people is Jody Thompson of St. Louis. The 41-year-old graduated from treatment court five years ago, and earlier this week he told our producer Emily Woodbury that over the course of his life, he's had two dozen felony convictions. I always grew up in the streets, living a lie, thinking that what I, the way I was living was the way it was supposed to be, selling drugs, doing drugs. and I mean, I was uh, not a good person. And... I, by the grace of God, I got rescued and went to jail. And I got a second chance by getting into the drug court program. It was not an easy walk. I had a lot of bumps on bumps in the road and hit my head a thousand times, but they never gave up on me. And I, of course, didn't give up on myself. Now, Jody Thompson spent about three and a half years in the program. He says treatment court was tough, but that it was what he needed. He says the treatment court structure helped him in a way that typical criminal justice procedures did not. When they release you from prison, they put you on probation or parole. I was on actually both at different times in my life. You have stipulations, but you don't have hardcore structure and stability and you don't really have a foundation. You're, you go see your PO or you don't. With drug court, you're mandatory to see your parole officer. You're mandatory to attend treatments, to go to classes. You're mandatory to get a job. They put that foundation on you. And if you don't abide by it, well, you get to go to jail. And I went there quite a bit of times, you know, on weekends. The structure and stability of, of drug court, in my opinion, is awesome. At first, everybody hates it. Nobody wants to do it. It's like, man, that's too hard. No, it's not. It's on what you make it. And at first, I didn't make it easy. It was <laughs> it was an 11-month program whenever I went in there. Well, I ended up making it three and a half years. So <laughs> I became a veteran down there, and I loved every bit of it, even the bad times. 
Now, a major condition for people in treatment court is that they secure employment. Jody got a gig doing landscaping for $10 an hour. That job led him to the career he has today as a small business owner. And with me having that job, it just, I've seen a different way of life. And I think drug court for that. Today, I, uh, I'm a very, I will say, successful business owner. I own my, my own tree service and landscaping company, Thompson Street Care. And I got over a quarter million dollars in, in equipment to do jobs. I've landed some of the, I have some of the biggest contracts in St. Louis, the biggest names, Slough High School next to the zoo, got the dome downtown, Emo's. Lafayette Square Restoration Committee, Tower Grove South, I have, and it continues to go on and on and on. And this, before I got into drug court, never would I have imagined that I would be in a position I am today. Now, Jody Thompson told our producer that he's been sober now for seven years, and he is just one of an estimated 2,200 people who have graduated from St. Louis Treatment Court in its 25-year history. And joining us now with more on treatment court and how it works are its two commissioners. Matt Melton is a former public defender who was appointed a commissioner of the treatment court in 2015. Commissioner Melton, welcome. Good afternoon. Thank you for having us. And we're also joined today by Rochelle Woodyist. She's a former prosecutor who was appointed treatment court commissioner in 2013. Commissioner Woodyist, welcome. Thank you. Good afternoon. So, Commissioner Woodyist, uh, you were a prosecutor who worked in the treatment court. What made you interested originally in that part of the circuit attorney's caseload? Well, I tried several cases, um, criminal cases as far as possession, burglaries, gun cases, assault cases, and um, I knew we had a treatment court, and I think I'd sat in or cover it for the uh, prosecutor at the time, and liked the aspect of taking a look at cases where it was driven by substance use, and instead of us prosecuting at that time, working with the courts to give this person an opportunity for some rehabilitation is the word we were using, and treatment and an opportunity to turn their lives around and become that productive citizen instead of another person that we're putting in prison. Yeah, I mean, so when you were working as a prosecutor, I imagine that work in some ways could be kind of depressing. Like, here's people with problems and and they're going to have to go do their time. This felt like something different. This felt like something different. There are cases that I prosecuted and I... I felt very, very good and happy about the outcomes. And I knew this was for a reason. And there were victim cases and there were cases where people were repeat offenders. Taking the opportunity at that time to work with offenders were some of the a majority of the cases were their first felony uh, convictions or arrests and the opportunity to work with someone to assist them and having this case dismissed before it becomes part of their record. And that was the the very initial stages of um, working with the with the um, treatment court. So taking a look and having having some input on what was coming through the doors in treatment court and, and being a prosecutor to say what looked like a, a good candidate and what didn't, mm-hmm. but have an opportunity to work with people that said, let's go a different route. Let's give them an opportunity to change their lives. And Commissioner Melton, you were coming from the opposite side of this. You were there as their defense attorney. Yes. But sort of also maybe that same opportunity, a chance for for somebody to change their life. Yes, totally. Um, 
my, my story is not as thrilling and sexy as my colleague here. Um, I was my first day hired on in the public defender's office. They just placed me into drug court. I thought I was going to be going to trials and doing hearings, and they didn't have any of that work at that time. So they brought me on as a, quote, paralegal and placed me in the drug court program, and I immediately get to sit at a table in a judge's chambers, in a commissioner's chambers, and sit with a prosecutor, with a probation officer, with treatment people, people that I never came into contact with in law school and preparing Mm -hmm. to, to, to be a lawyer. So that right there, I was given a front row seat at a program that was helping hundreds of people. Um, And it was nothing that I had ever dreamed of. And looking back on it, it was probably the most important day in my professional life. Hmm. And so the two of you went from working within this court to basically being the people who run this court as the commissioners. This is obviously work that stuck. I I want you to help us understand sort of how this works. From what Commissioner Woody has said there, this is something that's completely voluntary. So your clients, when you're there as a a defender, um, they're saying, okay, I want to go in this alternate path. Yes, the the justice system is very good about offering a defendant options. However, some of those options are not particularly practical. I mean, you can always take the option of going to the Department of Corrections and doing prison time. But really, let's try something different, something that may require more time, more work. That is sort of the point of the treatment court. Um, It is a complete consolidation of community treatment and community supervision in a courthouse setting. So this is no get out of jail free card, but it makes me wonder how this is different from just you got to check in with your parole officer. Uh, What's different about being in in treatment court? Well, what's different is some of those conditions that you normally are given on probation, the treatment court and the team as a whole are working to help you complete those. So the the goal is to remove some of those obstacles that you you have when you come into the criminal system. One of the many, many great things about our treatment court is having the resources to have our treatment counselors embedded in the courthouse. So we eliminate those difficulties of I can't get to the treatment facility because it's here in the courthouse. We um, we have our probation officers who are dedicated to treatment court in the courthouse on the same floor. So we're eliminating that transportation problem of, I can't get to see my probation officer. Oftentimes those appointments are on the same day that you may have treatment. Uh, What's unique is we have a case manager. So some of those obstacles that you would have when you're told to go forth and get a job and you don't have a resume or you don't don't know how to begin that process because you've never had a job. So yeah. I was about to say legal job. Um, so we, <laughs> so we. Um, That's a fair distinction there. <laughs> so we have tim- team members that work with the defendants that are now pr- participants in the program, and we have someone working with them to remove as many of those obstacles, and also teach them how to learn how to find their own resources and remove those obstacles for themselves. So, Commissioner Melton, there are a lot of resources here, and they're right there. I mean, this this sounds like a great thing, but then this is also a little bit different than some of these, you know, nonprofit programs that are just trying to help people by wrapping around services, yes. in that you guys also have a little bit of a stick that yes. goes along with the carrot. The, the carrot is not 
as viable if there's not a stick on the other side. Um, treatment courts, it took a long time for them nationally and statewide to evolve to where they are now. And in the beginning, it, it was much more of the stick. It, it was a, a mindset of drugs are bad. If you don't use drugs, you will be good. So go be good. And it, 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 it has grown and we've learned that this is really a long-term behavior modification program. Um, we often use the word rehabilitate when it comes to the criminal justice system. And that's simply not the, the frank world of most of our per- participants. It's simply getting them habilitated. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've never had a job, if you've never dealt with your mental health issues, if you've never been sober since you were a teenager, it can be almost overwhelming to think about a world where those items are not there. Mm-hmm. So we, we work with a big carrot and we try to use that stick incrementally only to keep someone from getting involved in negative behavior. So, Commissioner Wittiest, I I remember back when drug courts were first coming into the national consciousness, and it's funny, it it seems like Claire McCaskill was part of that. She was there in Jackson County, Missouri, had one of the nation's first drug treatment courts there. And I remember at the time this was sort of painted as, oh, if somebody gets arrested once for a drug thing, this is a way that we can keep their record clean and we'll sort of divert them into this channel. It sounds like this has become much different as time has gone on, at least here in St. Louis. It has evolved. So when it began in 1997, this was completely pre-plea. So you did not plead to the case. You had an opportunity to have the cases dismissed. And around 2007 is when we began, and I was a prosecutor um, in treatment court at that time, is when we began conversations and implementing the idea of of post-plea and working with the judges, the prosecutor's office, the defense attorney's office, uh, mainly the public defender's office, and sitting at the table with also the probation and parole office and saying, we want to expand. We want to now delve into some of those post-plea cases. Some of those cases where the person took probation the first time. Yeah, I'll do probation for two years. And then a few years later, they get another case, another possession case, or another burglary case. And what we were beginning to realize as a team is that, you know, having a few classes of education when you are a substance user, not abuser, will put you in the same situation. You will be found again using substances, falling asleep in your car after you've gotten high. You will continue to burglarize if you are not receiving um, that treatment and that oversight. And so this is much more intensive work, maybe, than that was originally in mind when these sort of courts were were developed. As you said, it's this process of you have to actually habilitate people. You're almost helping people, giving them the chance to rewire their brains. Yes. Drugs are more often than than not, not the sole problem for our people in our program. It is much more um, beyond the simple act of whether they are using drugs or not using drugs. And we work with cognitive behavioral therapy and using our modules, our best practices that are shared with us nationwide, state, statewide, as really good resource and teaching tools for our participants. The concept of 
treatment being everybody sitting around a table telling old war stories, how they used to, to get high, that works well on television. That's not actually treatment. Um, I, I'm not a treatment counselor, but I've spoken and worked with many, and it is very intense. It is like school. Mm-hmm. You, you learn how to handle this stress. It's not about just saying no. It's about developing the healthy skills that people who don't engage in drugs and alcohol gain as they grow in their young years. We do need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to hear from somebody else who's seen their life change. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. Welcome back. Today is the 25th anniversary of the founding of the St. Louis Circuit Court's Drug Treatment Court. And my guests today are the court's two commissioners. That's Rochelle Woodiest, uh, who's a former prosecutor doing this work, and Matt Melton, who's a former public defender, um, helping people get the treatment they need when they're involved in the criminal justice system. And one of the people that they have helped is 43-year-old St. Louis resident uh, Jamesia Smith. She spent two and a half years in treatment court, and she graduated this February. It is highly intense, but it is a it is a beautiful program because it definitely saved my life. The judge was willing to work with me through all the complications and problems that I was giving them. They they, they never gave up on me. So the fact that they were able to show me, you know, that they care about me, that you're not in this by yourself. Just started having me change my mind, started, okay, let me start to try, you know, cooperating with the program, start doing what they're asking me to do. So, you know, as I became open-minded, I became determined to change my life and be a better person. Now, to say that Jamesia's upbringing was rough is an understatement. She told our producer that the house she grew up in was full of drugs and drug dealing. At 13, she witnessed a family suicide. Her mother put her into a mental health institution at 14. At 16, she started experimenting with drugs. And then, as an adult, Jamesia found herself in a series of toxic relationships. She said one was particularly abusive, both physically and emotionally. And then, in 2011, her son was killed a day after his birthday. You know, I just I just lost sight of everything. Everything that was around me, my family, my loved ones, everything because I was so broken down to where I started giving up on life completely. You know, I just started feeling feeling like I didn't exist. So, when I got into drug court, it was a rebellious. I ended up uh getting placed on a Third floor of Midtown treatment for uh, inpatient was very much against that as well. But I started listening. I started going to groups. As I started going to group, I'm starting to listen and started to, you know, be open-minded about this world of addiction that I didn't know anything about. 
Now, even though Jamesia no longer has to attend group sessions, she still goes to Salvation Army Midtown for group sessions, and she also attends Narcotics Anonymous meetings. She has a sponsor. She has a support team now. So I am so grateful for the judge, the the PO, everybody who's at drug court who was willing to still help me during the time I didn't want to help myself. Now, today, Jamesia has a job in maintenance for the Missouri Botanical Garden. She also owns a hauling company she started on her own, and she's working to get certified as a peer support specialist to pay it forward helping others who struggle with addiction. My life today, oh, it's, it's beautiful. It, it may not be as I want it to be, but it's drug-free. That, that's number one thing. I don't have to wake up sick and, and trying to figure out how I'm going to get something to put in my body to get me to order to function. So it's a lot of doors have opened it up for me. It's just like I said, at times it does get overwhelming, but I know how to handle these situations when they come up being drug free. And that is Jamesia Smith. She is a graduate of St. Louis's drug court. How great to hear that she's doing so well today. I mean, what a what a sad story. And then what a happy ending there. Commissioner Woodyus, this was a case that, that you worked on. What's going through your mind hearing what she says today? Um, how honest and open she, she is. When she first began uh, coming to court, she hardly spoke. She didn't want to speak with her treatment counselor or her probation officer, and certainly not me in court. And as she blossomed, how she began to, to be honest and very honest uh, with me and with her probation officers and treatment. And, and that's one of the first elements that we introduce into the the treatment court setting is that we need your honesty. So if you come in and you're saying that you're still using, that's how we get you more help. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are denying that and we have to kind of pull that out of you, that takes longer for us to get the the services that you Mm -hmm. need. But for her to really be open and honest on air and to, to share her story is, is um, it's heartwarming. And it, it reminds me of why, Everyone that's from 25 years has been working to keep this program uh, as it is. And this is a person that, you know, is facing challenges still, but is mm-hmm. is willing to continue to work with other substance users to pull them, you know, out of out of their their darkness and to continue to grow and learn and, and be a light for other people. So I'm very excited about you being able to speak to a graduate who can tell other people how good the program is. Yeah, and Commissioner Melton, it was great to hear her talk about, like, th- there's bad things that can still happen in her life, but now she almost has, like, the tools <clears throat> to yes. deal with that. Yes, I mean, she is one of so many people who have overcome so much hardship and so many struggles in their, their life, and it is an everyday battle and every day you have to dedicate yourself to doing what's right, having an integrity, and being honest with yourself about um, what you are capable of and not ever being afraid of failure, not ever being afraid of um, not accomplishing what you want to set your, your mind to. 
Um, and it, it's, been a, it's been a great 25 years for the program. I, I just find it awesome that we get to say that we're 25 today. I <laughs> yeah. remember what it was like to be 25. It's a pretty good year. It's a good year. A Absolutely. Good year. I want to go to the phone lines. Jamie is actually calling from St. Louis. Uh, I think Jamie um, has had some experience at, at uh, drug treatment court. Jamie, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Hi. Yes, I have had experience. Um, actually, Commissioner Woodyus, I... Uh, the first part of my drug treatment court, I had a different commissioner, but then she ended up taking over, and she is so kind and helpful. I never really felt like it was punitive. I really felt like they wanted to help me. I had access to amazing counselors while I was in the program. I have seven and a half years clean and sober now. When I was originally arrested, I thought it was like the worst thing that had ever happened to me. I did treatment court to, like, help with the legal stuff, but it was really, I think, like, one of the best things that's ever happened to me in my life was getting put into treatment court. Jamie, I am I am so glad to hear that, and I'm so glad to hear how you're doing today, and I can see Commissioner Hi, Jamie. feels the same way. <laughs> Hi, Jamie. It's good Hi. to hear your voice. And, and you remember Jamie? I do. Wow. It's good to hear your voice. <laughs> oh, this is so wild. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I'm married. I have kids now. I own a home. I have full-time employment. I'm really active in the recovery community. Jamie, it's, it's I am just, I am so happy to, to hear this. And I wish you could see the look <laughs> on Commissioner Woody's face when you said that you have kids and you own a home. Her mouth just dropped and she just looked so joyful. <laughs> Congratulations. You know, they see you at your worst. They see you at your lowest point mm-hmm. in life. And to rebuild from that, I mean, it's it's like a miracle. So. Yeah. Well, Jamie, thank you so much. What a wonderful call to get. I swear that was not a plant. We had no idea that Jamie was listening today, and and that's just wonderful. I do find myself thinking about something, though. You know, in St. Louis, um, we're really working towards decriminalization of of uh, marijuana, and we're looking at other drugs as well. People no longer get picked up for, for simple possession cases, and I think probably a lot of our listeners think that's a really good thing. But I think about Jamie um, talking about how this changed her life, that she kind of did this because she had to do this. Commissioner Melton, do you do you worry that maybe we're losing a chance to get people help before they spiral too low? So our our program, the total number of participants in the program has definitely taken a hit. Most of that is due to COVID and the the courthouse not being the easiest place in the world to do business through through a global pan, pandemic. Um but from, from my standpoint, it's not the act of possessing a drug or the act of using a drug that causes most of our participants' problems. The overwhelming popularity of our program is filled with people that are charged with offenses involving breaking into people's homes, committing assaults, low, lower-level robberies, um, stealings, driving stolen cars, and also possession of drugs or potentially... Um, involved in moving drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's those crimes that I think have a greater impact on our city. Um, I, I'm more worried about, you know, the safety of my, my home and my family, and I'm less worried about the safety of what's in someone's pocket. The choices that our participants make before and after they, they use, there's ha- there have to be hundreds and thousands of people just like Jody just like um, our current participants who have been touched by substance abuse, who have been touched by that criminal activity, 
And those are the people that we're interested in, in helping. We're not really that interested in, in, in helping the simple marijuana smoker. Yeah, and, that, and that's not the person that's that's coming your no, way at this point in St. Louis. I imagine years ago it, it might have been a different scenario. Commissioner Woody, any thoughts on that? Like sort of who, I guess, who you're trying to help and, and whether these people are, are able to get to you guys in time? We are trying to help, and, and everyone knows that um, the opioid um, that was a to me that's a, a pandemic in itself. Yeah. Um, so we've been fighting uh, opioids and, and heroin and now fentanyl for over twenty years. As a matter of fact, so I, I am worried about the person that is sitting in the car and overdosing in a park or overdosing in their home, and there there's no help and and they've not been arrested. So there's there's this uh, population that doesn't have cases that are not being arrested. And um, we deal with the criminal justice system. There are other resources in the community mm-hmm. that are, are I, I believe, being more vocal about assisting people that are not in the criminal system. But those cases that are coming our way, um, as Commissioner Melton was saying, as some of these cases begin going to trial or, or pleading, I'm hoping to see more of those cases coming into treatment court so we can get those services. And there's been a little delay and and moving some of these cases forward and we're hoping that some of those people are able to come back into court, take accountability for their actions and admit that they do need some assistance. They need some substance use treatment. And that delay is because of the pandemic. Because of the pandemic, yes. So um, wondering about capacity for this treatment court, what you're talking about is so intensive. And I know you guys are, are doing about 80 to 100 graduates <laughs> every year. The pandemic has disrupted everything, yes. disrupted that. But at this <laughs> point, much. if somebody is in the St. Louis Circuit Court system and they're brought up on criminal charges and they want to do drug treatment court, is there a place for them or not necessarily in light of current capacity? Well, in light of current capacity, we are working on increasing our capacity. So, yes, mm-hmm. if there's a case coming forward and this person is, is screened and found to be a substance use user, I'm so, abuser, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. substance user, and we have different screening tools that make that determination. And once that is, is happening, we certainly have the capacity to work with that person. So we're looking forward to increasing our capacity. And we have the resources. The city of St. Louis, the state of Missouri, has been very generous in providing resources to the treatment courts. And the goal of the state is to increase treatment courts even further throughout the state of Missouri. So we have the support from Jefferson City for this treatment and the uh, support of the city of St. Louis for us to continue to do the work that we do. Wait, that's great to hear. And, you know, it was interesting as I was researching this, learning that it was in 2018, this was more than two decades after the St. Louis court was founded, that the state legislature passed a bill expanding these courts to every county, really sort of saying, this is a model that works. St. Louis was ahead of the curve on this. Um, And Commissioner Melton, I know that you believe that was due to, to some extraordinary people doing extraordinary things. Yeah, I mean, our program was created by a judge who moved on to the Court of Appeals and has long since retired, um, James R. Dowd. And he started the program just because he kept seeing people come through his dockets that were clearly substance abusers and clearly not getting help either in jail or just on simple probation. And while he has stepped away from the program... He is still practicing law, and all of his successors 
from uh, Barbara Peebles and James Sullivan and Michael Noble are all circuit or associate circuit judges currently in our circuit. Um, we know that in St. Louis, we're really good about finding out the people that come through our courthouse, whether or not they have a substance abuse problem. The next step in that is pointing them in the right direction for treatment, not pointing them in the direction of, let's say, time served, not pointing them in the direction of, um, you know, 10 years of prison time, not pointing them in the direction where a high risk, high need individual doesn't get not just the substance abuse treatment, but the cognitive be, be behavioral treatment that they need to become independent, productive, self-sustaining citizens like the ones that we, we've heard from today. Well, that's great. And I know from covering other counties that not everywhere in Missouri is quite that far along. There are still people doing very long prison sentences for very small amounts of drugs. And as a St. Louis resident, it's great to know that that is not the direction that things are happening in, in the circuit court. Commissioner Wittius, I'm thinking back on your interaction with Jamie and some of the other people <laughs> we heard from today. And just in our final moments here, I guess I'm wondering when, when you're out and about, do you ever see <laughs> former <laughs> graduates and you're just like, yes. I'm so happy. Yes. They look healthy. Yes, that's a that's we a do. Yes, yes. I, I from the grocery store to sometimes the drive-through. But yes, I do. Um, I, I have to say two things. One is I do see them, and I am I'm happy that they're walking towards me with a smile. As a former prosecutor, you don't always have that. <laughs> so um, I'm I'm glad about that. But I'm even more excited because I'm seeing them either working or they're telling me about the work they're doing, like Jody having the tree cutting business and being very happy as a small business person. So it's great to see them because they are also taking on this idea that I'm a productive citizen in the city and they're excited to say, I'm, I'm paying taxes. I'm like, good. <laughs> um, and the second point of this is I sometimes run into someone who was not successful and they've gone a different direction. And they that the sentence for them at that point was appropriate if they were not successful in treatment court and they were uh, sent back to their their judge they received the sentence that was appropriate for them at that time so to see them in a different environment is you went a different route and a lot of times they will say I remember some of the things that you may have said or the commissioner may have said or my probation officer whether it's I wasn't ready or I I just wasn't there yet so there's that regret, but there's also that final accountability that yeah. has taken place. So I'm, I'm glad to see graduates that are out in the community calling in, stopping by for graduations, because that is what our other participants need to see. They need to see five years of sobriety. They need to see seven years of sobriety. They need to see gainfully employed, small business owner. Um, that's that's what not only the citizens of St. Louis need to see, but that's what the participants of treatment court need to see. Well, Commissioner Rochelle Woody, as you said that perfectly, thank you so much for joining us. Today. Thank you. And Commissioner Matt Melton, thank you. Thank you as well. Today's episode was produced by Emily Woodbury and Sarah Fenske with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here.
Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.